Hello, I'm Zev Newworth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, and bold solutions on how to advance the creation of a customer-oriented, value-based, and most importantly, a humanistic system of healthcare. The views I express on this podcast are solely my own and do not represent the views of any other person or organization. Folks, uh, the topic today is one that is incredibly near and dear to my heart and my daily work. We'll be speaking about the senior population, the challenges that seniors face in navigating the complexities of our healthcare system. This is so important for so many reasons. The population of Americans over 65 and over 75 is growing at a much faster rate than the rest of the population. In fact, by 2034, there will be more Americans over 65 years old than under 18 years old. This has never happened before in the demographic of our country or quite honestly in the global demographic. It's a population that obviously the older population has chronic disease, is, is in desperate need of uh, continuous connected medical attention from uh, preventive care to multi-specialty care to hospital care to post-acute care. In fact, over 75%, that is three out of four seniors have two or more chronic conditions and over 50%, one out of every two seniors has three or more chronic conditions. The medical expenses are staggering, they're growing. And layered on top of this is, uh, is an epidemic we've known about for quite some time, which is that of social isolation and loneliness, which clearly got worse during the COVID-19 pandemic, but was there before and is continuing to get worse. In this interview, and I'm so excited to have Alex Harp on the podcast today, we're going to hear from Alex about some of the challenges that seniors face in our healthcare system and what he and his organization, Lena Health, is doing to address and mitigate those challenges. But before I formally introduce our distinguished guest today, I'm going to make a request of you. If you listen to this podcast and you find value in it, I'd like you to share it with your colleagues and also to rate it online. Now, a growing number of you have already begun to rate the podcast, share it through LinkedIn, Twitter, other ways on social media, and even email listservs I've seen. To those of you who have already begun, as well as to those of you who are going to do so, I greatly appreciate you taking a moment to spread the podcast and more importantly, to spread the word on creating a new healthcare. So without further ado, let me introduce our guest today, Alex Harb, who is the founder and the CEO of Lena Health, L-E-N-A, Lena Health. Alex was born in Sao Paulo, Brazil. He was raised in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, before he immigrated to the United States at the age of nine with his mother. He received degrees in biochemistry and economics from the University of Texas at Austin. As an undergrad, he had a serious interest in biomedical research. He had published in peer-reviewed journals, and he had the goal of pursuing a career in medicine. After being accepted into multiple medical schools, his career, however, took a turn. He had begun working in digital health startups, and instead of attending medical school, he pursued post-baccalaureate training in software development from UT Austin. He found himself working in product and technology development and later as a digital health biodesign fellow at the Texas Medical Center's Innovation Institute. Of course, Texas Medical Center is one of the largest, most distinguished and innovative healthcare institutes in the world. During his two-year tenure at Texas Medical Center, he worked with over 10 health systems and dozens of leading medical device and digital health startups to develop and commercialize technology that improve the lives of patients as well as the operation of the health institution. During this time, he did observe something firsthand, which was some of the challenges 
that seniors encounter as they're navigating the complexities of the system. And it was from this experience within TMC that he launched Lena Health, whose mission is to simplify and improve the patient experience and outcomes for seniors utilizing a concierge assistant for navigating their health needs. And we're going to hear a lot more about this. But uh, first, uh, Alex, just want to say welcome to the program. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Dr. Newworth. And it's a pleasure to be here. Oh, my pleasure. And please, Alex, call me Zev. Alex, I have to dive in and ask you the question. So there you are, you're at Texas Medical Center. You're studying this technology and using this technology as a fellow. And what did you see as seniors experience in healthcare that, that really kind of created this pivot in your career and got you to focus on this? Yeah. So, it, you know, it was interesting. It, this was a bit of a unique opportunity as a professional in healthcare to be in this fellowship. It was designed to give people like me access to, you know, the 60 member institutions, 12 of which are, you know, among the largest health systems in the country, Memorial Hermann, MD Anderson. And I had uh, pretty much 100% access 24-7 to go and observe any area in these health organizations and talk to any patient, talk to providers, talk to leadership. And through this one year with access to this healthcare system, to this healthcare organization, I was able to follow patients as they were coming into the ER, as they were you know, being admitted into the inpatient setting to being hospitalized. And in many cases, I was able to follow these patients as they were being discharged and even when they went home and with their, the permission of um, a large many number of them, I will also follow them to their home so that I could actually see what is the patient's journey as they navigate their care needs independently once they reach home. And so one of the things that stood out to me glaringly when I did follow these patients was that seniors primarily have a lot to deal with in the hospital and then especially once they go home. And more importantly, there were a subset of seniors that really stood out. These were the socially isolated seniors, the ones that just, it was obvious they didn't have enough support. And you would see it in the inpatient setting when they were working to discharge these patients responsibly, when they couldn't discharge them for days because there was nobody to come pick them up. They struggled with finding transportation to the home. And eventually they were able to you know, figure out a way to get the patient safely home. But even while they were at home, the patients had to deal with this all on their own. And so this in socially isolated population, this um, population that didn't have enough support stood out and I dove deeper. And this is where ultimately I, I began to dive into this problem of social isolation in this Medicare population. And as you can imagine, most people look at this problem and just in the word social isolation is is the word social. So we tend to think that this problem stems from a point of um, not having enough people to converse with and, and being lonely and, and feeling alone. And so that was the start of the journey where I provided patients with a companion, a text-based and voice-based companion that they could talk to at any time. And, and it was really through this experience of deploying with hundreds of seniors that I learned that, you know, actually social isolation is not so much about conversation uh, because 80, about 88% of the seniors that utilized this companion 
were actually asking for help in doing some tasks that they knew they had to do, like schedule an appointment, finding transportation to their next visit, or finding social assistance for paying their rent. And they were going to this companion for support. And that was the initial insight that led me to really realize that this problem was a navigation problem, a support problem for these patients. And so the companion turned to be more of an assistant for these patients. And that's where we saw the magic happen. And that was, you know, the original uh, observation of this senior socially isolated population that gave rise to the Lena personal health assistant that just ultimately is there 24 seven for patients to reach out to when they need anything, when they have any question, when they need to get guidance on what doctor to find, all of these tasks that would fall on seniors themselves. Uh, we are there to take care of those tasks and handle it for the seniors. Wow. In your correspondence with me prior to this, you made a statement. You, you wrote to me and you said, when considering patients' concerns and needs that arise on a day-to-day basis, the majority, and this is, this is what I want you to respond to here, you wrote, the majority are non-medical in nature. What we found mm-hmm. at Texas Medical Center was up to 90% of seniors' needs are logistical in nature not medical. Issues like you covered a moment ago, appointments, refills, where to get care, finding providers, coverage, social assistance. One could hear you and think, oh, this is a 5% or 10% problem. But what you observed is that it's a 90% situation. And I just, I think it's so fascinating that on the one hand, there's the clinical side. On the other hand, there's that sort of relational side and you were in the middle saying, well, the, both of those exist, but what you discovered was it was sort of this transactions, all the things people need to do, which we potentially take for granted, these folks have trouble with. And I, I guess my question to you, part of it is just, again, responding to how big this is compared to if we had a multiple choice test, which a, a lot of us on the clinical side of medicine are very, very used to, unfortunately, I don't think I would have put these sorts of issues, the, the sort of logistical issues as the majority of, of senior needs. And yet that's what you discovered. So can you respond to that? Yeah. So, um, so Zev, I think to answer your question, one of the benefits of being part of this biodesign fellowship program and having access was that I was able to really work with these health organizations to understand what they already had in place to provide support to these patients. And one of the unique things that I was able to do was spend time with the call centers of nurse navigators that was in place. So when seniors have a question or a concern, for example, as they're discharged from the hospital, they can call the number and reach a nurse navigator. And that nurse will be able to um, help them with their concern, provide symptom support, help them navigate prescriptions and refills and et cetera. But one of the things that I was able to do is is really take a look at this call scripts from these call centers. And the, the unique insight there was that 92% of their requests from these seniors when they call in, again, these are complex high-risk seniors that are calling into this call center with the average age being above 75. The average question was logistical in nature, non-medical. So the nurse was generally not needing to triage a symptom or a need or provide direct clinical support to the patient. The nurse was having to guide the patient with regards to 
things that tasks that the, the seniors have to do themselves usually to stay compliant with their care plan, like scheduling an appointment, following up with a provider. And, you know, surprisingly, a lot of these questions or these calls from seniors came in in the form of, my doctor told me that I need to go see a cardiologist and he told me the name, but I got home and I forgot or I misplaced the, the referral form. Can you tell me which cardiologist I should go to? And these questions stem from, you know, everything from scheduling appointments to finding care, finding a pharmacy, to needing to find transportation, needing to find, you know, social assistance for paying for their rent or, or even questions about coverage. Am I covered for, for this upcoming procedure? And this was the, 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 the light bulb moment that helped us realize that there is a big opportunity to scale a broad support system for these patients that, that is, um, can be leveraged with technology in a form that just connects the systems for the patients and is able to provide that assistance and that support immediately. And if there's any clinical need, then of course that can be routed to the right clinical person. And, and that was where we were able to observe that, that unique, um, unique aspect of, of this 92% of, of needs are, are really non-medical in nature. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And when you first said this is like a personal assistant for seniors dealing with, with their healthcare issues, I just have to say, it sort of made me sit back and say, oh my God, what, what an obvious problem. It makes perfect, perfect sense. I've just never heard anyone use that term of a personal assistant. And yet that's exactly what is needed. Did you borrow that Crazy. I mean, there are personal assistants, there are virtual assistants that people use, largely busy people, executives, et cetera. Kind of where, where did you get that from? Yeah, well, you know, indirectly, we arrived there. As I mentioned earlier, our origin was uh, really started as a companion for conversational uh, companionship for these patients. But we began, you know, we, we saw more and more that these patients were really asking for support and doing these tasks, doing these tasks were in nature about navigating the healthcare system, their, their care needs. And what we began thinking about in terms of how do we build and design a, a patient experience that is, is really delightful, we wanted to stay away from a, an experience that prescribes behavior to the patient. You should do this, take this action, we wanted to delight the patient and, and be there for whatever they need. We were going to handle those tasks. And so the, the concept of a concierge assistant was something that we began playing with. And patients were 100% delighted with the fact that this person was at their disposal. This, this system, this concierge assistant was at their disposal, wasn't telling them what to do. And whenever they needed something, it was reliably responding and, and performing these tasks on their behalf. So it really became, um, it, the personal assistant concept came from these patients as we learned what it is that they wanted and, and how, it, how we could best support them in their care journey. Mm -hmm. Well, I've, I've got so many questions off of that. I think the first and important one is, so how does this actually work? If I'm a senior, am I talking to a person? Do I have a hotline number? Is it a chatbot? Is it some combination? What, what is it actually like if you could walk us through that mm -hmm. customer journey? Yeah, it, it's a combination of a chatbot with real human. So 
ultimately a patient will be matched to a personal health assistant, which is a real human. It's a health advocate that we staff and they can engage to it through SMS, text and phone calls. So early on, we learned that, you know, seniors are not downloading, the, the average senior, I should say, is not downloading uh, applications. They're not going to the patient portal. And the research backs this up. I think it, there was a study done most recently that 82% of older adults have never logged into the patient portal, whether if it's through an app or through um, the browser. And so what we did see early on, the seniors are texting. So we began making the personal assistant available through SMS text and phone calls. And we saw that roughly about 75% of seniors are engaging with the health assistant through SMS text. So what we wanted to do was not put a technology filter in front so that um, it can handle some regards and only escalate most of the needs up to the human when needed. What we wanted to do was scale that human touch of the real human assistant that can provide a concierge level support. So we use conversational AI, a chatbot, to be able to provide the initial questions for the patient whenever they have a need. And there are usually a, a set of questions that you can ask for every navigation. For example, if you are calling or texting about a navigation to schedule or reschedule an appointment, you can have a system, a conversational system, ask a, a few questions that will be able to get the information you need to do that task. So if a patient texts, can you help me reschedule my appointment? Then the next logical question, for example, would be, yes, of course. Um, is this a, an appointment with your primary care doctor or a specialist? And they would say, this would be with Dr. With Dr. Jones. What times do you have available in the next set of weeks? Um, what is the purpose for the appointment? So I can note it down. And then the real human steps in and is able to close the loop by um, letting the patient know that the appointment was created at this time. And we can layer more and more automation that is conversational in nature, but we can really use this initial set of assessments to provide an immediate response to the patient, to provide um, the initial set of questions, and then that human, that real human personal assistant that's a health advocate can close the loop and, and it can be a, a much more empathetic um, engagement with that patient. And so for us, this, it's this hybrid model of conversational AI with real humans in the back end that help guide the patient. And it allows us to really scale that human touch that's really critical, especially for, um, you know, for a healthcare journey like a complex care senior. Mm -hmm. A couple of questions, but the first is, I was talking to Roy Schoenberg, the co-founder of Amwell, and he was articulating a picture of the future of healthcare where he said, listen, there's always going to be in-person care. What's growing now is digital and virtual care. So that's the second domain. He said, but the third domain, which is really exciting and exploding and is going to really transform healthcare is the automated care, that we are going to be experiencing a lot of automated care through AI-enabled technology. And he, he, he really believes that is the future of healthcare, and it's going to improve cost effectiveness and efficiencies and, and even be more reliable, et cetera, et cetera. You, in, and I heard you being interviewed, and you made a statement that you believe that 80% that of all navigations that seniors need can be automated. 
And so I'm curious, what percentage are you at right now? On, is that on your future roadmap to, to actually make it so that there's more of that chatbot? And I'm curious how you see the benefits of that to both to the seniors, to the patients, consumers, as well as to the industry. Yeah. You know, one of the most exciting things is in deploying this technology for us is that we have been able to track all of the data across, you know, across the country with multiple health organizations that we've deployed with to be able to see what are the questions and navigation needs that come up. And so we have all these analytics that we're able to break down and we're able to, you know, path journeys to, um, and we've seen that above 80% of the needs relate to um, providing logistical support, such as scheduling navigations, referrals, finding care, and answering common questions about coverage and, um, and you know, accessing information such as, is, are my medications ready, for example. All of these 80% of navigations, we can, if we are integrating with the health system, we can provide that answer and close the loop with the patient with a conversational support that's in, that's integrated, a chat bot that is able to answer that immediately. And in these cases, those are the ones where I think consumers, health consumers, patients prefer the convenience of having that done quickly and seamlessly, as opposed to having to you know call and have a human um, enter their request on the phone, wait on the, online for you know 30 minutes or so. That asynchronous communication of being able to request something and have it completed is what we're aiming for. And we've seen that 80% of, of those needs where we are able to automate. And, and you know, the, the rest, you know, I, I think about 20% is, is roughly where a human is needed to, to close the loop. And, and those are, you know, when, when there's a complicated case of um, I need transportation, it's not, I don't know where to get it, um, whether it might be social in nature or where, whether a patient may need to you know, have a prescription refilled and they are requesting you know, some, additional, um, some additional needs from their provider, such as I need another, I'm, I'm having some concerns about this because I read something where, whether you know, it's, it's about something that they read online and, and that human touch can provide that navigation to scheduling the appointment to providing you know, the available resources for uh, transportation for those patients or other social needs that always need to be there and available for patients. But for the majority, that convenience of getting that question answered, getting that appointment scheduled is, is doable through integrating through the systems. And, and we've been able to do that with our partner organization successfully. And, and we're continuing to expand where and more can we automate to provide that level of convenience. So is it fair to say, my understanding is that Lena Health is largely primarily a text-based service? Yes, so we, we are primarily a text-based personal assistant for seniors, mm -hmm. but we are available through phone calls. So if a senior is, you know, wants to call, because you know some seniors you know may prefer to text most of the time but one day they might want to call they will reach their human um, real personal health assistant 
and, and they won't have to wait on a call center. And that was really important for the patient experience that we build that capability in. So roughly, you know, about 75% of seniors do text primarily, but some of them uh, do call from time to time to get the support that they want. Got it. And in terms of that personal assistant that you're talking about, so let's say I call and I get assigned someone, what is the likelihood that I'll be able to speak to that same person? Again, it's a 24-7 service you provide. So how does that work? How, do, how is it if there's a second person that gets on the line instead of the first person because they're off? How is there a, a document? How do you record these, say, do you have a record, a personal record on each individual? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, we've had to work really hard to design a way so that we can optimize for this personal one-to-one interaction uh, as much as we can. And of course, as you, as you alluded there, you know, we can't be there. That one individual is not on the clock 24 seven. So there, there are times when there are, you know, handoffs from one health advocate to the other. And so what we've been able to do is really build um, clusters of these health advocates for populations. And, you know, as we hire, we, we hire from the local um, communities where we are providing the Lena Health Assistant. And we cluster these teams so that if a patient calls and they don't get their Lena Health Assistant, then these, the team of health advocates that are available for that population are generally familiar because there are constantly huddles. There are con- there's constant collaboration because sometimes one health advocate needs to support another for navigation so that it can be quickly and seamless. And that allows us to flex so that if a patient calls and their personal assistant is not uh, in the office, then somebody else will be able to enter that call, let them know that they're filling in for them and they'll be back in a couple of days or so, and they're gonna be able to provide the support, but they will get their personal assistant back shortly. And that's the level of coordination that is required to make this available at scale, that personal assistant experience, which is really important for, for this population, and I think for any that is really expecting a concierge experience. Got it. Yeah, that's helpful. And so it, this sort of begs the next question, which is, it sounds like you are working locally with, not direct to consumer, but you're working through a payer or provider organization. So who actually are your paying customers? Who who are you working with? And and part of that question is also, are you integrating with their, let's say, electronic health records or medical records system? Yeah. So we are really valuable to any organization that is managing value-based care populations. So these would be um, providers that have an accountable care organization that is managing, you know, a large population of Medicare patients in a shared savings program to provider sponsored plans, um, providers that own their own healthcare plan that they insure for patients and they provide the healthcare services directly to them, as well as direct traditional insurers that have, you know, Medicare Advantage plans, for example, or any other at-risk population. So we started working primarily with accountable care organizations. Um, and we started in Houston and now we've been able to work with multiple across the country. Um, one of them is Atrium Health Wake Forest, which is an organization that you are a part of, that you're in leadership of. Um, um, another is Freighert Medical College of Wisconsin. And Freighert um, also invested 
in us um, through Inception Health, their innovation arm. And, and now we are also working with plans uh, who are deploying this uh, directly to patients and, and giving them that, that concierge experience. So what we found to be really helpful is to work with these organizations to integrate to their electronic medical records for one, for the obvious reason of having access to the context of their care plan and being able to provide immediate assistance that's within their existing care team. So if a patient has a, a primary care provider, we can integrate with their primary care provider and see all of the orders that have been placed, all of the specialists that they have referred to and you know, any specialists that the patient has. And that just allows us to provide a much deeper level of support that, that the patient needs. Um, and so that is the primary reason for that level of integration. The secondary reason is working through the provider themselves allows us to establish a trust with the patient that would otherwise be difficult. Um, unfortunately, in, in our current world, we seniors themselves experience a lot of fraudulent phone calls. And so working through the provider, partnering with them, being referred to the patient through the provider allows us to establish that trust from the first interaction. So that integration, I think, is critical to make it available to the patient in, in a responsible way and in a way that allows us to maintain that relationship with their care team. Yeah, that's fantastic. Are your health advocates, are, do they toggle between their own system and the electronic medical record? Are they recording directly in or do you just, is there some sort of transfer of that information they record into the system? Yeah, both. Um, we, we certainly keep our records of, for coordination purposes of the navigations that patients need. But since we're focused on non-medical navigations, um, we, we usually um, tap into the electronic medical record when there needs to be context from the care team. And so these patient health advocates have access to the electronic medical record for the care team in most cases. In some cases we have deployed without access and we, we are able to provide that navigation support. Um, and this allows us to you know, deploy quickly without having to have a, a big IT burden, which can, be, which can be costly in terms of resources for organizations that wanna get up and running a program that achieves savings. And so we, we've been able to deploy you know, these non-integrated, but also integrated manners. And, and those that are integrated, um, we toggle between our data that we're collecting from patients on navigations and their electronic medical record that gives us additional context. And and when when you can connect or integrate or, or get your folks onto electronic medical record, so just a kind of practical concrete question, but if I was working on a care team as a physician, could I expect to actually get a message from a health advocate? Is it that, that kind of relationship? You're almost sort of like an extension of the team or is it a little bit more distance than that? It's exactly that. So we introduce ourselves to the care team of the patient. And we let them know that we are the patient's health advocate, that we work on their behalf. And, and from that point on, we are ultimately an extension. So a lot of these providers, their, their care team, whether if it's the nurses or their primary care doctor or their specialist, will call the health advocate or text the health advocate to be able to provide that coordination for the patient so that the patient is not having to play phone tag with a provider. And so um, they know us as the extension of their care team. And that's been 
a, a great relationship to establish because we can make the provider's life a little bit easier if we're doing these things on, on their behalf um, and, and providing that for the patient. Yeah, in a moment, I'm going to ask you about some of the results and outcomes you've demonstrated with Lena in, in terms of lowering hospitalizations, readmissions, costs, those sorts of things. But before that, a lot of systems have or are interested in having navigators, community health workers, as you said, call centers, social workers, et cetera. So I guess my question is, what what's the advantage uh, if a system's looking and saying, listen, well, I could just hire these people and bring them onto the teams or I'll set up a call center or something like that or care management teams that lots of large systems have already. Why would someone choose to sign up with Lena and have your teams do that versus their in-house teams? What are the advantages? Yeah, it, it's such a great question because if you look at the research for the last you know, 10, 15 years, it's clearly... Uh, it, it's well understood that lay health navigation with community health workers or lay health staff of these patients improves health outcomes. It reduces avoidable cost of care and can achieve savings. And so that is, you know, it, it's very relevant. And a lot of these organizations have already started implementing these navigation programs for patients. We, I mentioned the call center of nurses. Nurses is primarily the number one way of having these call center staff, but more and more you see these community health workers and health advocates available. The question is though, however, how can you scale that? And so today what we see is that these programs are generally available to a small number of patients, those that are the highest risk, the most complex, those that are patients that are leaving the hospital and you make a navigator available for the next 30 to 90 days to avoid a readmission. And the reason why it's limited is because it's cost prohibitive at scale. You just can't keep hiring more nurses. You can't keep hiring more staff uh, to reach your full population of, let's say, 100,000 because mm -hmm. it, it's just not um, practical to hire train and manage that number of patients. And so what we wanted to do from the very beginning is answer the question of how can we scale this to make this more accessible to patients and make it, make it significantly cheap enough so that it can provide a high return on investments from the outcomes. Um, and, and even before thinking about the return on investments, how can we build in the practices that have already been established in care navigation and lay health navigation into a product, into a patient journey so that we can see those outcomes, but make it cheap enough so it's available at scale. And that's what we've been able to do with this hybrid model of conversational AI and, and humans that are engaging in a tech-enabled way. It's so interesting. And I think you your timing is really fortunate as well. But I've seen across the country, and in fact, I've interviewed folks where they've set up call centers, set up navigation command centers, right, with lay navigators, only to find how challenging it is to hire, to train, to keep it up. And I've seen many of them, or at least some of them, be pulled back or even shut down after spending quite a bit of time and investment. And so I think this idea of actually outsourcing this, getting the kind of scale and sophistication that you're bringing with the AI technology on top of it is really just a, it's a, it's a game changer. And especially now 
in the wake of the great resignation with the pandemic, where it's increasingly hard to, for, you know, forget about nurses, so hard to get nurses, but even community health workers and, and lay navigators is challenging because they're going into other industries outside of healthcare. And so I think what you're offering, there's a tremendous need in the market for it. It, it has been there, but now it's bigger and, and growing. So absolutely. And, and your AI on top of it, because that's what a lot of these centers don't have. They just don't have the technology or not investing in in the sort of the chatbot technology you're talking about that's integrated into this sort of lay navigation. So I think it's brilliant. Exactly. And one of the things I think that's important as you bring up is it's it's challenging as you're a an organization that's large with lots of moving pieces to stand up one of these programs. Um, because it's one of many things that you have to worry about. We are living navigation every day, and we are continually expanding the conversational AI capability. This is what we do across populations, across settings. And so we are able to provide that 100% focus. And, and so outsourcing it, you know, it's, it's more like near sourcing it because we work yes. very closely with the organization. So they are not um, becoming disconnected from that patient's journey, but they're allowing us to focus 100% so they can focus on you know, clinical care um, and other areas and focus areas that, that they can you know, begin focusing on and not have to rely on, on uh, building another department. Yeah, no, again, the advantages are, are to me self-evident in terms of that, but Alex, you have a way with words. I, I love the near sourcing. So I was gonna ask you about that because it does seem like Yes, it's outsourcing, but what I'm imagining from what you're saying, and tell me if I'm getting this right, it's it seems to me you're hiring people that, and, and maybe I'm fantasizing or imagining here, but for a practice or organization, it's going to be that same group of managers. So I'm not going to get a, someone who's sitting on the other side of the country or the world, and then I get someone else. There's a pot of people that, as you say, maybe this is what near sourcing means, but could you expound on that? Yeah, you know, from a few levels, from the level of on the ground, I mentioned earlier that we hire locally. And that is one of the focus areas for us, because what we found is that if you are touching patients um, on with regards to their care, they are listening to what you say. It's really important that those conversations and those engagement points are in the context of their everyday lives. So even to the point of, you know, the the weather or what happened with this festival that happened over the weekend, that is one of the unique areas of trust that you can't get if you're hiring, you know, if you're engaging a patient from across the country or especially across the other part of the world, right? From, you know, traditional call centers that staff abroad. And so we hire locally for that reason. But I mentioned earlier the clusters that we create for the organizations that we work with. That means that an organization has at their disposal these health advocates. So for example, Houston Methodist has been a, a uh, very intimate partner with us and continuing to scale this out and, and do studies with us. And they have their nurse navigators that they have existing for complex care patients and more and more they're focusing them on clinical needs. But those nurse navigators interact and in, in in the management interacts with the Lena health advocates that have deployed for their population. They will even request 
their support in helping a patient navigate this social need. So it becomes really an extension of their team without having to hire them, without having to train them and manage them. Uh, and so we, we want to continue to have that level of closeness with the provider. It helps us. And I think it provides a good experience for the team. Yeah. So it, it is a bit of a both end. You, it sounds like your team could actually, again, be an extender of whatever systems, navigators, social workers are already in place. Exactly right. Yeah. How about, and I keep on putting off this question about results and outcomes, which I definitely want to get to and give you a chance to share. But a lot of organizations are also, large organizations in particular, are investing in the so-called digital front door, using symptom checkers. And I, I guess where, where does Lena fit into that ecosystem or is it a substitute for it? Or, mm-hmm. or... Yeah, so early on when we were looking at what's available to provide patients with this navigation support, we, we looked at all of these available digital solutions that are, you know, you, you term the, the common term nowadays is called the digital front door. The way that they, they appear in the journey as, you know, a, a way to, to engage through an application and get a symptom checker or, or have, you know, the ability to use an application to schedule your appointment, like Epic MyChart is a common one that is commonly deployed. And these solutions are point solutions in navigations in the sense that you can do very discrete tasks. You can schedule an appointment, you can change your appointment details, you can go through a symptom triaging mechanism and be told where you're, you know, be recommended and what specialists you can go to that are in network. These exist, but what we really needed for a value-based approach that will be um, really useful is to have a comprehensive navigation. Um, It's important to provide end-to-end navigation for these patients, meaning instead of providing a list of options, be able to provide suggestions on what doctor a patient can go to, schedule that appointment for them, and then follow up with supporting if they need transportation, reminding them of their upcoming appointment, and and, be able to support any needs that arise along the way. And so what we wanted to do is figure out how can we create a comprehensive navigation solution? And so that's where Lena was born. And so we really fit within this um, technology-enabled comprehensive navigation that's for value-based care. These digital front doors do provide a support and we don't replace them. They do provide support for the broader population that, can, that just needs you know, some mm-hmm. navigation that can be handled by this point solution. And we can coexist, but in the value-based care world where comprehens- comprehensive navigation is essential, um, we're that, that solution. And I think this is where we saw the gap in the market and that's where we're filling it. Yeah, and that's such a critical point. Thank you for bringing us back to that issue that this is this is a value-based offering, if you will, comprehensive offering, and targeted to value-based patients who are in value-based contracts so that there is a return on that investment that you're making the so-called concierge care, navigation care. What is, and even before you use the number 100,000, and I, I think, again, you were referring to the population, the, the segment of the larger patient population for any organization that is in, in value-based contracts. And so the, 
the issue of total cost of care utilization is is critically important to do well. So given that, what are some of the value-based outcomes that you, you've demonstrated to date? Yeah, so we've been able to do a retrospective claims data analysis with, with Houston Methodist. They were able to look at over the first year that we deployed with their complex care patients, um, what were the impacts of on three key drivers of costs for them, ER visits, hospitalizations, and 30-day readmissions. And what they found was that patients that had the Lena assistant and compared to patients that did not had lower encounters across the board of those three cost drivers. So 13% reduction in hospital in ER visits, 33% reduction in hospitalizations, and 25% reductions in 30-day readmissions. And using those claims data, the estimated savings per patient per year was over $4,000. So it's, it's roughly about a 30% reduction in cost of care. And for this complex care population that was analyzed, since they generally cost you know, upwards of $20,000 uh, every year, the 30% the reduction is significant. And so the, that was really the initial aha moment that by in, instilling these proven navigation and care coordination models of lay staff, navigator and all these studies into the Lena assistant, uh, we were able to indeed see you know, the, the outcomes that provide those return on investments that make this um, doable financially and economically for an organization that, that's value-based care. And what about the patient's acceptance of this? Do you have any data on how patients experienced your service? Yeah, so those were the leading indicators that we measured up front because you know, most obviously what was important for us was will, will patients adopt this? Will seniors adopt this? And will, will they use it, um, first of all? Um, and so we did see that um, you know, we were able to have about 80% enrollment success for patients, meaning that if a provider or a health organization referred the lean assistant to the patient, um, then the patient would accept and, and enroll and opt in to having a lean health assistant, which is really critical because um, you know, today you will usually see you know, sub 10% enrollment success for any intervention, especially those that are virtual. So really critical, but most importantly, we saw 88% monthly active usage from this population on this case study, meaning that these patients were coming back to their Lena assistant um, every month and requesting support from them. And it's, you know, this speaks back to the reliability of a comprehensive solution, because if you have a digital or virtual solution that, um, introduces friction or has a limit immediately, patients will stop utilizing, especially seniors will stop utilizing that intervention and go back to the call center because they know that someone will answer and be able to eventually help them. So um, we were able to see 88% monthly active usage for the course of uh, a full year and about 75% stayed month active month to month for that full year meaning that they were compliant um, in, in receiving navigation support when they needed it. 
So really great outcomes. And then finally, I'll say we had a 92 net promoter score for, for this, for this wow. study, which was really important um, for us, especially as, as we drive this concierge experience. We wanted to survey patients to see what it felt like to have a, a, um, a health assistant for concierge navigation. And, and we, we received that high level of, of patient satisfaction because, of course, it, this was um, a reliable and, and concierge level solution that is generally hard to receive. Yeah, I, I, that's impressive. A quick question. It's amazing to get these results and this adoption and utilization month over month with seniors. This largely tick space, but also personal call, navigator, health advocate. Have you thought about on the other end, let's say with a, a Medicaid population increasingly across the country, Medicaid's going to Medicaid managed care. We have that here in North Carolina. And so ED use is, is a big problem and traditionally across the country and hospitalizations. Have you explored the, the Medicaid side? So this would be a younger population, obviously. Yeah, no, absolutely. We have, and, and we've been able to deploy with dual eligible. So as, as we provide the support to seniors, we also provide to those that are low income, which present the same um, challenges of social needs as, as those that would be, you know, even younger as well. Right. And the, the great thing about this modality in providing navigation support is that text is, has been shown to be accessible across socioeconomic status and across age groups. So making, making a solution available through text as opposed to web apps and, and, and websites means that we can also reach this Medicaid population. So it, it hasn't traditionally been a focus for us, but we've begun to see this need and demand, and we have begun deploying considerably with this low-income population, especially as you mentioned, more and more are becoming um, into these value-based contracts. And it's expected that I think 100% of Medicaid will be part of an ACO by 2030. Um, and so, so yes, big opportunity to make an impact and improve the lives of, of Medicaid uh, patients as well. As you're talking, I'm thinking it's from a health equity perspective and a disparities perspective, and then that whole sort of digital divide that people talk about. I mean, most technology people have can do texting. And so I, I think this is really sort of, uh, especially now CMS has come out and, and really laid down its direction around the fact that CMMI, these new models of care will be required to have health equity and addressing disparities of care as part of their program. And so I think what you're doing is absolutely aligned with where Medicare and CMS is going. So I applaud you for that as well. It's fantastic. We're excited about it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, and it's so, such a big problem and issue that this, this definitely leaps through all of the digital divide issues that you're, or a lot of the digital divide mm -hmm. issues you're talking about. And, and exactly, I think our experience, I think this is nationally, that uh, people do respond to text much more yes. readily than they do to anything else. So, yeah, again, great. I know I know we're running out of time here. I, I do have a, a number of quick questions, if that's okay with you. Sure. So just curious, if there was one lesson you've learned or discovered and uh, along your journey that you could share with others, what would that be? Yeah, it, you know, I'm, I'm biased because of the training I received as a fellow, but I think one of the main lessons for us was that we were able to arrive at this unique solution because we focused so 
purely on the problem at first. You know, our origin story started with social isolation and loneliness. And we were able to pivot the solution to where we saw the, the solution that solved the root cause of the problem. And so I think, it, you know, the biggest lesson for me it, as a product innovator, as a product designer, is that if you focus on the problem, you, you will be able to um, more properly identify a solution that solves that problem and, and, and adds value. And, and there will always be resources that make themselves available when you're actually solving a problem that adds significant value. And so to any technologist or anyone out there that is really trying to, to create solutions, it is really solving that problem first and then thinking about how technology can scale that solution secondly. And I think that will um, improve the capability, the probability of success. Yeah, I love that. And I love the fact that you you started out with one problem and one understanding of it, but by by really looking at the customers, consumers and patients perspective and their actual situation, you pivoted to really addressing what their issues were uh, as you as you observe them firsthand. Uh, Alex, I also have to ask you this. You opened up your bio uh, that I asked you for by sharing with us that you were born in Sao Paulo, Brazil, you were raised in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, and you immigrated here to the States with your mom at the age of nine. How does that background, what, what impact does that have on this work you're doing, your perspective, what you've put into the market with Lena? I'm curious because you're the first person, and I've been doing this now for the last four and a half, five years, you're the first person that opened up with where you're from. And so I'm just curious, why did you do that? And, and how, how do you think that relates to the work here? Yeah, you know, I, I've had to think about why I identify so much with this problem. And, and I, as, as I retrospectively look at my experiences in my life, I think it's, you know, I, I felt so much empathy as I observed seniors when they didn't have support because I grew up having, you know, in a culture where it, it was the number one priority was to take care of our grandparents as we grew up. And so I, I think that that, that background of, of being born in, in that culture um, where, you know, we, the, the, the kids um, are always having to check in on the grandparents and make sure that they're, they're well and, provide the transportation to their appointments, et cetera. And it really gave me a bias as I observed and, and really to empathize with that problem. And I, I, I didn't deliberately choose this as I observed. I think it was my goal to um, look at the problem from a blank slate, but I think we all have um, our, our biases that are formed from, from our, our upbringings, right? And, and things that we connect to more deeply. And for me, it was how do we, um, improve the aging experience of our seniors, and, and how do we how do we build solutions that are really based on the the human touch and, and connection that that can be maintained in that experience? And so I, I think that background of, of growing up in Bolivia and, and immigrating um, it really did shape how the problem that I choose that I chose to solve and. And how we solve that problem? How do we focus on on that very human and empathetic aspect of, of what we do? 
Wow. Well, thank you, Alex. You're a lovely human being and, and an amazing entrepreneur and really just so uh, appreciate the opportunity to have met you and to find out about Lena. And I hope that we continue to speak with one another and, and would love to help you in any way I can. Again, I think this is, uh, as you point out, a, a very, very serious humanistic problem and issue. And I think you're really doing a great job in addressing it with Lena Health. So thank you. Thank you, Seth, for having me. This was a, uh, a great conversation, and thank you for bringing light to this opportunity. Um, it's a pleasure to yeah. be here. Oh, thank you. And Alex, I do close out every single podcast with turning to the listeners by thanking all of you out there who are doing the hard work each and every day of taking care of patients, uh, or those of you who are supporting those who are taking care of patients. I thank you resonate with what Alex has shared with us today. And I just want to say, I truly, truly appreciate you for what you do and recognize how critically important your work is to individuals, to families, to communities and our society, and especially over the last couple of years during this pandemic. Thank you just is, is just not enough. So don't know what to say. Just again, really, really appreciate all of you out there. This is Zeb Neuwirth on Creating New Healthcare, my friends. Until next time, be safe and be well.